Okay, okay. Today's episode of Industry Town is brought to you by John Rosenfeld Studios, celebrating its 10th anniversary. Check out our latest episode with PR guru Tammy Lynn. She has some amazing giveaways that you can hear about on that episode and amazing insight into the world of PR. But today, coming up, we are going to talk to the one and only Johnny O'Callaghan about meditation, mindfulness, and applying spiritual psychology to our life and acting careers. Johnny is a therapist, actor, writer, teacher, and meditation specialist with a degree in computer science and a master's in psychology. He is fascinating. He's one of my favorite people to talk to on the planet. He's inspiring and helps me look at the way I see and interact with the world and to warmly challenge certain uh, perhaps unhelpful views and impulses. So yeah, we're going to get real philosophical on this episode because uh, despite all the knowledge and artistic talent in the world, our attitudes and assumptions and emotions play a huge role in our careers and our auditions and our daily life. So I wanted to address that on the podcast. We're also going to talk about some really practical ways to start or enhance your meditation practice and why that's so helpful for creatives. I hope you find this conversation as exciting exciting and helpful and interesting as I did. One quick note before we jump in, um, a very minor trigger warning. We recorded this on the day of Kobe Bryant's passing, and it was in that window of time when we weren't sure if the story was accurate. So that does come up briefly, and I just wanted to let you all know ahead of time. Okay, that's the business. Let's get to Johnny. Lock it up. Very quiet and stealthy. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Here we go. Johnny O'Callaghan, welcome to Industry Town. Thank you, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Um, have you done a bunch of podcasts? I realize I don't know. Um, I've done some. It's been a while, actually. It's been, um, I've been kind of in the bubble of um, listening to people. <laughs> So. And when you're brought on, are you? Because you wear many hats. I feel like you could be brought on as a meditation specialist, as a therapist, as a creative. As a, talk about various life experiences you've had. What What are you genu- generally bringing to the table first and foremost? Yeah, a lot of around you know meditation. Also, I think of an adopted son. A lot of people want to hear about um, you know ra- raising a, a child, an adopted child. Also. I guess writing. I've written some plays and stuff, and um, I was an actor for a long time. So it's kind of, um, but generally, my life these days is very much the the healing practice. So, so how would you describe your practice if someone said, you know, what do you do? How would well, you describe that? I know you were talking about actors. Well, a lot of <laughs> sometimes what I feel is I would have liked to have met myself when I moved to LA. I think I used to um, believe a lot of my thoughts, and I took things very seriously and I'd get caught up in these little bubbles and rabbit holes of suffering and um, I didn't really have the altitude to kind of um, that I very much do now and that's very much what I teach it's kind of what keeps me free to enjoy life a lot of time is is being able to rise above which meditation is an amazing tool to do that and also when I get lost in kind of what I deem is wrong, or this shouldn't be happening. So, so. when you say healer, is mm-hmm. that the title? Is it spiritual therapist? Is it therapist? Is it... I mean, I'm not sure what to call it. I mean, I take the approach that we're souls having a human experience. That was what helped me heal. Like, a lot of the time I was doing pure psychotherapy, 
which for me just was very much just working with the mind and the left brain. And it got very much about blame and very right or wrong, good or bad, black and white. And um, it just tended to keep me stuck. It was so many judgments. And I found, you know, what was missing was healing. And I, <laughs> that sounds so basic, but I think a lot of people don't even believe they can heal and they just stay stuck. And for me, you see, a soul having a human experience gave meaning. So all of a sudden everything, you know, was happening for a reason and that actually gave me so much freedom to kind of enjoy it more. So maybe, I'm not sure if that's I feel like that gives it, a, well, it might not put it on a business card, but it definitely answers the <laughs> yes, question for yeah. sure. Yeah, I don't even have a business card, so. Well, I don't know how you, you get a lot of text to put on one. So when you say a soul having a human experience, yes, what does that mean? To me, it's, um, I mean, the Buddhist perspective is the idea that we choose our parents. For me, it's just the idea that we chose to come here, that we're, this is like an earth school and that we're here to to learn and to grow, that it's not, we're not victims to it. It's not happening to us. It's actually happening for us. We're just here to experience life and being human. And um, I think that would be kind of, you know, the idea that we're kind of, we're growing, we're evolving. But I think the big thing is that life is not happening to us. It's happening for us. Like I used to think as an actor, I would take everything so seriously, you know, if I didn't get an audition and I thought that meant there was something wrong with me or, or I wasn't enough. <laughs> and I took it all so personally. And that's why I was like, oh God, why did I meet Johnny when I, when I came here to, to sort of tell me, don't believe your thoughts or don't believe what you're thinking. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess the freedom is I, I believe life has meaning and that, you know, I'm here for a reason. I have a purpose, and everyone has a purpose. And uh, I'm special, and I'm not special. You know that we're all in this together. We're all kind of. I love the meditation idea that we're one. So, let's break down this idea of a soul having a human experience. Mm -hmm. Does this all kind of add up to a belief that there is kind of one unity, one being, and then within that, it just is getting kind of sliced and diced into various souls? or that the universe is made up of kind of an infinite number of separate souls? Yeah, I'm not f fully sure. You know, it's it's a mystery in, in many ways. And I, I, I think not every question has an answer. And I, I like to live in the mystery. There's definitely a mystery. You know, it's sort of an unseen intelligence. And I think that we're we're all part of it. I think it's so beautiful. I find the planet, like, so stunning. And I, I find it just, you know... I think recently you, you shared about your your dog, and I feel I had that connection with a dog called Charlie and as well. And it's just sometimes the, the experiences are so beautiful. So I I believe that, that we're all connected yet, that we're all kind of helping each other. I love that Ram Dass, we're all helping each other home. Mm -hmm. I don't know what home is per se, but I do feel that we are all one. And when I meditate, I really feel that connection. I don't feel a separateness from anyone on the planet. So I really see that we're all doing the best we can. We just get lost in our, you know, our consciousness, our unconsciousness. So when you say we choose our parents, I feel like yes. that is a probably to a lot of people a relatively newer concept. Okay. Uh, most people feel like, well, my parents had me, and I'm their DNA, yeah. and so there's yeah. some level of cause and effect and a direct relationship. And that also for probably some of the people who might benefit the most from that concept, it's also really hard because um, if my parents don't support me being an actor, how did I choose that? Or if my parents emotionally or physically abused me, 
how can you say I chose that? I feel like that could be a tough thing to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's the only story that's out there. Like, I think the mind is a storyteller. That's why I think actors are, you know, they're very spiritual. I think actors are healers. The mind is always telling a story. I like you to be the winner in the story. And it's the only story out there that I see that stops you from being a victim. Most of us are victim perpetrator, victim perpetrator, or we're the creator of our story. And I find that comes from Buddhism, the idea, again, that we, you know, maybe live many lifetimes. That's another, I guess, spiritual story and reincarnation. So the idea is, though, that you would choose them to learn and to grow. It doesn't mean that, you, again, you have to have experiences. And I found the more I meditate, one of the biggest maybe moments I had after like doing a lot of meditation. I used to do like 10-day silent retreats, Vipassana meditations, where you'd meditate for 15 hours a day. Um, was very much, you get higher, like you, you, and it was very much um, that everything is beautiful, that we're here to experience. It's not to get it right. So the more I kind of, that was the overriding message, that everything is beautiful, like divorce, separation. They're all experiences that we're coming to have. That it's not, we're not here just to experience one thing, but it's our mind makes it good or bad, right? It's just an experience. It's just our mind says, oh, that shouldn't be happening. So it's just your mind saying, oh, you know, um, as opposed to just embracing and experiencing it. You know, I have an adopted son, as I said, he starved in Uganda for three years and lost his birth parents to AIDS. So, I mean, he could get very stuck in that sort of um, experience that it shouldn't have happened and that uh, he will suffer. Like when we resist what it is, we suffer. If we think things should be different, we're going to suffer. So he could get very stuck in, oh, that shouldn't have happened. But today it's not happening, like in his moment, you know, so he's very much free. But the Buddhist perspective is also that if you're, you, chose to, you choose to be adopted as well. So that would be a choice you've made before you come in. Like you use a lot of your free will before you come in. I'm not sure about this. You, is this you exercise sense? free will in where in who you end up becoming. Yes. But the then after that, that some of that well, you is still have free will within it, but some of, you set a lot of it up before you come in. That would be kind of the idea. Okay. And I do like this idea so that it puts you in charge. That yeah. makes sense to me. And also storytelling. I do want to emphasize that I do find the mind is a storyteller. So I think you need to find stories that you're the winner in. And I think that sometimes is very hard for people. They're remembering the suffering a lot. They're remembering what's wrong. What uh, is the genesis of that? Why do people tell so many stories where they're losing? I think it's the duality, how we perceive. Like perception is edited observation, but we perceive things inaccurately. I think we perceive things like, again, like, you know, it's good, bad, right, wrong. I think we're fed this duality a lot from religion, society, and, um, and it's hard to sort of break free of it. That would be kind of waking up. So if someone just had their agent drop them, Yeah, I feel like a lot of them would say, like, that sucks. That's bad, right? I feel like that, sure, that would be a, a sure. pretty common general example of a reaction. Sure. How would we see that as beautiful or as something that we chose or the way that we're the winner? Well, it's an experience. So you're receiving that information and it might, you, might, you might feel it. And, uh, and it's important to feel. You know, it's disappointing. It's sad. You could perceive it as rejection. But I think I overall trust, okay, it's happened, so there's a bigger reason for it to happen, that you're going to get a better agent. It's just redirecting you. Life, it needs, we need to be redirected when we're on the wrong path. 
And sometimes we sign with agents that don't do any work for us. And or we're not ready for that agent, and that's the reason we end up back in class, or we seek out, you know, a different mentor way of interacting with it. Like our ego. When I first moved to LA, I had the same agent as Jack Nicholson, and my ego loved it. You know, it was it sounded very good. But he wasn't really, you know, they were so busy with Jack, and I think they had 14 very famous clients, you know. And yeah, it felt good. Oh, yeah, you know, at a party to say that. But the reality was, uh, you know, I was getting lost in the shuffle. Sure. So I think it's, it was interesting to see the ego and then also trusting what is. If I'm not getting the results I want, it's time to change. It's time to, you know, take new action. I think sometimes I hear a lot of actors do the same thing over and over, and they get the same sort of result. I think actors are maybe more entrepreneurs. You know, if we're not getting the result, we got to kind of change and kind of take a different approach, different tactics, different strategies. That makes sense. You said something earlier that I think is worth doubling back on, okay. which was that what I think my thoughts are not necessarily true. I remember yeah. the first time, I believe you were the person who said that to me. It made me stop for a minute and, and think, because I was like, wait, am I being lied to by myself constantly as well? What, I think so, yeah. So why why does why are most of our thoughts not true, and what 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 is the purpose of our of our brain, this incredible supercomputer that's taking in having all of these thoughts, if it's just a lie to us? Like, how, what's the relationship we need to have well, to that? I think it's important to question them because it, because I think feeling and emotion follow thought, so that's what's dictating how you feel. So if you're feeling sad, I mean, I think you got to start questioning: what am I thinking? What am I believing to be true? unless you want to be sad. Like some people are addicted to their feeling and emotion. I mean, I think I was at different points in my life. I just didn't think it served me. I think it's, um, we're always, you know, perceiving stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're making correlations about different things. And and then they just feed back to us. And um, I think I share that story before of like you're two years of age and you put your arms out to get a hug from your dad and your dad is coming towards you. And then you run towards him and then all of a sudden he just turns his back on you. We can perceive that as, oh my God, my daddy doesn't love me or he's rejected me, he's abandoned me. And um, in reality, he's taking the kettle off the stove or answering the doorbell. It, like it would have been great if he had to come over and say, hey, I'll be right back. I love you. You're totally safe. <laughs> but sometimes parents just don't have the time. We get caught up in, um, you know, paying our bills, different things. And so we inaccurately perceive that. And then we can grow up thinking, you know, people don't love us or we were rejected. So that thought, those loops, you know, are fed back to us. But I, I think the key is to break them and to realize that, you know, they're not actually true. It's just a perception. We just perceived it. So way. we've got to look at the mind as more of a perception machine. Yeah, it's like artificial intelligence. I like to also call it Siri. You know, it's like this where it's just gathered all this information. I have a computer science degree as well, and I studied a lot of artificial intelligence and computer programming. And it's the more I listen to clients, the more I, you know, it's like coding. Like if this happens, then this happens, else this happens. I feel like I almost had to do the computer science degree before my master's um, in psychology because it really makes it makes complete sense, the, those two together. I do believe we have a computer. and Most people are believing, you know, Siri's not going to answer any question that ha- it hasn't been programmed to answer. So I find the mind is like that. It is this, it's just absorbing all this information, like, again, from society, religion, our experiences that we have. And I don't think it's necessarily that interesting anymore. I think um, I much prefer, like, I love 
meditation as in the now or mindfulness of just being aware of the now, right? Really taking in the connection I'm having with you as we speak or what's happening in the world. Not necessarily always just, it's like regurgitation. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. not that interesting to me, although I do find we get caught up in it, right? And mm -hmm. then meditation gives you altitude out of that computer part of you or the Siri or Alexa, whatever you want to call it. And that's where the altitude is, it's very good to have. Okay, I'm feeling this, I'm believing this, but I can also look up in spiritual psychology, one of the, is that um, the world is conspiring in your favor. The world is conspiring in your favor. It's not working against you. You're just here to experience different things. So then, uh, do you feel like you have a take on the meaning of life? Like, is it to experience full stop? Because I think a lot of people hope or believe that the meaning of life must be something purely good or to experience the best um, or for to achieve a certain thing. And I feel, you know, something that you and I have said, you know, full disclosure, I'm a client of Johnny's. I've worked with him um, for a lot enough for a number of years um, as a therapist and guided meditation and spiritual consultant in a whole bunch of ways. Um, but I do think one thing that you've told me a lot that I had to wrap my head around was that like this place is not just to feel good, that that's not what the human experience is purely about. Yeah, I think it's a realm of contrast. I don't think it's just to kind of like, because we experience loss, we experience like, I think everything evolves, flourishes and dissolves. And um, I think that's why we're here. Like we'll dissolve at one point. And um, I think if you think it should be a certain way, you're gonna suffer, right? If the, I, I, I love, like I get up, every day that I'm alive. Like, I mean, that's where altitude, oh my God, I've got life today. Anything can happen and I can experience and navigate it. It's almost like we're sailboats and how do we, you know, sail our boat? How do we navigate the stormy weather? There's going to be different types of weather, but it's just weather. We still remain, like I love that idea that we're, we're these whole perfect and complete energies that come to have this human experience, like a soul having a human experience and we get conditioned away from it. And then sometimes our work as adults is to get back in touch with that soul, that part of us that's whole, perfect, and complete. And that's what, you know, therapy, healing work, meditation all feeds and helps. It's to get to experience that you're whole, perfect, and complete now. That's not something that you have to, you know, earn or you have to kind of, um, you know, work towards. It's just in there. We just have to get in touch with it almost. And that's what meditation sort of strips away all those layers and you begin to kind of experience that essence that we have. So it seems like, a, tell me if you disagree or not, but that this is another way of saying um, acceptance and flexibility. Yeah, I love that phrase. Yeah, we are so flexible. I also sometimes like volunteer in the prison system, and that's one of our phrases is we are so flexible because the guards, the prison guards, everything can change at any moment. They can redirect you, <laughs> change the, the schedule. And if you start fighting with it, you know, you're going to suffer and you're going to uh, make it wrong. And then it might be hard to get back into the prison to do the healing work. So, so fair enough. But at the same time, I mm -hmm. would wonder, like, um, this is one area that I've had trouble fully sure, accepting that because sure. there's a lot that makes sense to me about yeah. it. But then I also start imagining, well, if I just accept everything, if I just, if I say, uh, well, I've got to figure out a way to say yes to no matter what happens, couldn't I become a doormat? Couldn't I become someone who accepts bad treatment or doesn't think, I, you know... Well, I will I always think... put someone else's needs or their inflexibility ahead of mine. Sure. Well, that's 
I'd like to say that's not what I'm teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think all. it is. I don't think it is. I, but that's I think we're allowed preferences. To. Like, I mean, I think we're not in any way. Like, assertiveness is not, you know, is also being spiritual. Like, it means st- standing up for oneself. I think um, we're not here to be doormats. We're here to experience. Like, sometimes shitty things will happen, and then we learn, oh, my God, I can set boundaries. Oh, I don't have to be with this person. Or I can kind of um, express myself. Like, we're always learning. That's what makes it so um but i think sometimes people get like i remember the C- i don't know if people still listen to cds but it used to be scratches or on lps there'd be sort of scratches too and they sure. would repeat and i sometimes think we get stuck in those repeats like i think we're here to experience but not experience the same thing over and over and over and i think that's sometimes one of the you know the pitfalls that we have to be careful that you know, we have to look. I'm always looking at my experience, and I call it curriculum. Like, what am I? What's my curriculum at the moment? What is showing up? And um, have I experienced this before? Did I not quite get the learning? So, no. I mean, life's amazing to set boundaries. We're not here to be doormats in any so way. So, what I take from that, yeah. and I feel like this is one of the pieces I've been trying to really mm-hmm. starting to get in my brain, and but really fully accepting it is yeah, another, sure. which is that. Tell me, tell me if you feel like this matches. That the ex- the accepting and the flexibility is about an emotional life. That I will not take this personally. I will not get activated. I will not see this as some kind of personal attack. But that doesn't mean in my behavior and my choices that I just need to say yes to everything. Correct. I mean, you know, how people treat you is a reflection of them. And that's why I think everyone takes it personally and think, oh, fuck, I'm you know, I'm doing something wrong. Like growing up as a kid, you know, I used to hear a lot of, it's your fault. Or my dad would be like, it's your fucking fault. Or, you know, and um, so I used to think everything, <laughs> everything I was doing was was bad or wrong, you know. And uh, if there was something going on in a relationship dynamic, I used to think it was my fault. But I'd been programmed just to think that. And then the more you start questioning your thoughts, you kind of go, oh, my God, that's actually not true. Well, you so know, most of what we think, as I said. It's not true. Which I, th- I think might be the banner of the most important thing people might hear. <laughs> sure. I think it's important. Um, let's go backwards a little yeah, bit. Sure. How do you, you know, when I see you, there mm-hmm. is a charisma to you that I think comes in part from the fact that you, I, I wish you guys, I wish we were filming this because as he talks about all of this, there's almost always the biggest smile on his face the entire time. There just seems to be this sense of bliss. Um, and it often feels like there is very little effort in being in the moment, present, and it's some level of, of existential happiness that like, I'm happy to just be here right now, regardless of whatever is going on. How do you, how did you get to this place? Cause you're saying that you were not always, you did not always know all of these things. You didn't always necessarily have this uh, point of view on the world. So how did this happen? How did, how do you end up as Johnny O? <laughs> I mean, I feel I've been like a spiritual whore kind of <laughs> a long, long time, my whole life. So, you know, my 20s, I, as I said, I started with these 10-day silent retreats. I've done a lot of ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. I've done, um, you know, so so many. Like, I was a swami for Osho. I've, I've tried and dabbled with lots of different things. And um, it's just got me not to take it all so seriously. I think meditation would probably be, though, the biggest key. Just, again, being able to experience the now, not not the thinking. Not, I'm not filtering it always. I'm just kind of being and um, and I, I think it's a process, you know, as I meditate, I think I've shared that story, I share the story a lot about when um, I was an actor and I was like, again, 
you know, I was up for everything. I came to LA and every agent and manager wanted to represent me. It was kind of the funniest thing because I sometimes hear people have the opposite experience. Yeah. And it doesn't. So, so I had every agent and manager that I met were like, yeah, we want to rep- represent you. And um, but cut to three years later, where I'd been up for everything. I'd been the number two choice. I booked my very first audition, and then I was up for everything, and um, and I just wasn't. You know, I was living in the Hollywood Hills, and I was, you know, I had a very privileged life. And um, but I was so sad because I had this belief that I should have been booking. I should have, you know, at one point I had this one man show, Rum and Vodka, the HBO were developing, um, possibly, you know, as as a as a show. And, um, you know, and nothing worked out, like, in my mind. <laughs> Although, again, I was living in the Hollywood Hills, getting massages, going to parties, living a life that some people would, would perceive as being, you know, very fruitful or, or what life is about. And um, But I was kind of depressed and sad. I was making it all wrong. So I'd be meditating a lot and I'd be kind of hearing. And then I start noticing the little whispers like, because I could hear my mind go, oh, you can't get a dog till you're a serious regular. But then I would hear like, or I met this little dog called Charlie and um, I couldn't, I just felt this instant connection with him and I couldn't um, leave him. You know, it was like, even though the mind was telling me all this garbage, like, like, you know what I mean? Almost waiting. You have to wait, wait. And that didn't make sense. Like, we began to kind of go, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, maybe sense. this is bullshit. Yes. And I'd been following that in a way, like, oh, you know, Jack Nicholson, the agent, is great. But, you know, they're not really, like, I mean, they sent me out for auditions, but it wasn't really stuff I was right for or how I perceived it. So I didn't feel they were taking the care to kind of really nurture and develop me. I was thinking they would, in my mind, I was thinking they'd be packaging me or da da da, da or some, something and other than what they were doing. So I was making it wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, but as I was sitting in meditation, I started hearing these little whispers. And then one Wednesday night, a friend asked me to go to Uganda. And it was pilot season. And I'd just been, a relationship had just broken up too, where someone, um, you know, didn't want to be with me and rejection. And uh, my mind was taking very, very hard. But as I meditated, you know, I, I would find peace. But this lady asked me, and it was a Wednesday night, and she was leaving that Saturday, and she'd asked everybody she knew, you know, to go with her. And it was during a time where there was possible civil war in, in, in Uganda. And um, the U.S. had issued, like, you know, no U.S. citizens should travel. But when I meditated, I could hear, go to Africa, go to Africa. I could hear my mind, you know, go, oh, it's dangerous. Like I felt kind of, but I could also hear, go, it's pilot season. You can't leave L.A. (laughs) And, um, but I was over listening to it. So I said, fuck it, I'm going to go. And um, And was there, was it just to take a trip? Was it to do aid work? Was it, what was She was working on a documentary, but it it felt like, I I don't know. It was just one of those where um, she'd met somebody that kind of was telling her about this orphanage in, you know, on the border of Rwanda and the Congo. And she was kind of, I wasn't fully sure what her intentions were. All, all, I, all I got a sense of was she'd asked everyone she knew. <laughs> and for me, life didn't seem, it didn't have much, you know, meaning at this stage too. So it was almost like it didn't matter really what happened. So I was like, yes. And as I sat in meditation, I could hear these little whispers and I was like, let's follow that, you know, as opposed to 
this kind of um, you have no money in the bank or this is your rent that you're and was that behavior that to say yes to a trip like that at a time like that with no money in the bank is that the type of decision that you traditionally would have made or did this feel out of character in some way it felt well I think it began with Charlie my dog that was the first where I was like you know what um, I'm not listening to the the mind as much the idea that you as I said you can't get a dog on your series regular or you know an actor can't have a dog or you're never at home or you know mm-hmm. all this sort of um, stuff that because I took Charlie with me everywhere Charlie was like you know <laughs> I'd been to every nightclub in New York he was you know, <laughs> in, a, in a little bag and, um, he was the most traveled dog ever but I couldn't take him to to Uganda with me but um, so it was kind of I was beginning to it was that was probably the beginning of really like not trusting the mind as much, just finding it interesting. You know that like if someone doesn't want to be with me, it didn't mean that there's something wrong with me. Oh, you don't want to be with me, okay? I can. It was it was less. Um, you know, it's getting less. I, I felt it was an uh, like a kind of I don't know what would you call it. Um, like a gap. There was getting more space okay. between the mind and me. It wasn't so I wasn't I wasn't feeling such a puppet to the mind. And so it was first with the dog and then and so, then you yeah. start to see the feedback of like, well, I'm so glad I did this. I love yeah. this dog and I'm making it work and I have so much happiness. Maybe I need to follow the voice that told yes. me to do this. Yeah. That voice is feels like the same one that's saying go to Uganda. Yes. And then what happens in Uganda? <laughs> and then I like it took us 3 days to get there and we went in this 10-hour car ride and then literally, you know, we arrived I think around like 5 o'clock in the evening and we climb up this sort of mountain or hill to this orphanage which is kind of um like a more of a mud floor and a kind of um you know, very primitive, no electricity, all these like kids running around as we were climbing up the mountain, you know, I felt like Bono or something. They're all like, <laughs> you know, following us. And um, literally, we went into this orphanage that my friend was planning to do a documentary about. That I, again, I wasn't fully sure of the details, but I said, sure, I'll participate. I was saying yes to life, I guess. And literally, they were all dancing. And then this starving little toddler crawled into my lap. And um, he kind of had multicolor snap, I remember, like dripping all the way like a faucet into his mouth. Oh, but he decided to wipe it on my arm <laughs> as he sort of um, nestled into me. And um, he got mold in his hair and he just was like snuggling in. <laughs> and um, I could hear my heart another one of those little, little whispers go, he's your son. But of course I could hear my mind go, you're an actor, <laughs> you're single, you're broke. This kid is so sick, da, 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 all this sort of stuff. But I, I just felt this connection where, like, you know, I can't really explain it. That's why there's a mystery. Like, I don't kind of, um, you know, it doesn't make logical sense. But I, but I couldn't leave him. I was like, oh my god, this this kid was like uh, probably a bit like, you know, um, Charlie in a way. I felt this connection, and I felt this connection with with this little boy and. Um, and when we're taking, I tell this story too, but I, I'll tell you, I think it's cute, is I took him out, I was thinking I'd take him on a play date, and this shows how clueless I was about parenting. I was like, I'll take him to buy him a bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> and um, I took him to this little, they had this how little market. How old is he at this point? He's like, I don't know his age at this time. I'm thinking like he's like two, okay. but it turns out he was three. Okay. And um, I'm taking him, like he was kind of like skinny legs and, and malnourished, and I take him into this, 
the little market in the town and I buy him the Coke, but he keeps pointing at bread. He wants this like loaf of bread. And um, I buy him the Coke and the bread and he takes a sip of the Coke and, and like spits it out, but um, holds the bread really tightly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then I take him back to, to the orphanage and um, it was kind of strange too at the time, like holding him, like he's nestled in and, and um, also started observing people watching was also which was very different than when I brought him back to to America but um, but I took him back to the orphanage and all of a sudden I'm thinking he's going to start eating the bread he went and put pieces of bread on all the cots for all the other kids and literally I'd never seen a generosity of heart at such a you know um, from, from I don't know it's just so touching I'd never seen someone so loving that they he had nothing yeah his instinct was to give first and to share. And that's what he did. And they used to sleep like five or six in a cot. And um, and I was just so in awe. And the more I kind of, you know, got to know him. And again, I was probably a little clueless, but I signed the papers to adopt him. And no, there was no agencies or anything like that in Uganda at the time. So it was a bit kind of... So someone would call sign it, paperwork there and then they're like, yeah, take this kid back to America with you? No, it was much more... Again, my innocence on my... Lo- again, when you follow the heart, these whispers, you know, it, there's a much more innocence to it and then you realize how complicated we've made things. And of course, mm-hmm. to protect, there was a lot of hurdles and I, I, you know, I had to get my own social worker to be vetted by the FBI. It was so much work to actually um, to do it. It took about nine months and... Um, you know, I went to the High Court of Uganda, and they said, "I give you the, um, this boy." He, he, the judge, like in the courtroom, Odin was like rubbing his like cheek and uh, my cheek and sitting, uh, like reading. It. He had like, a Curious George book, and the judge said, "I can obviously see he's your son. I've never seen this connection in my court before." And it was very, it was, it's, I know, it's a big, big story, but when he's now 17, it's going to be 18 February 27th. Holy cow. Holy cow. <laughs> Do you find that you are still making choices in your life from those knowings and those whispers? Yes. And yeah. what kind of stuff does that lead you to? Like, um, it's not, I mean, you, you only have the one child. It's not like you, I don't see a hundred dogs. And I mean, it's so, where are we, where does that take I you? I have two dogs, a chihuahua and a husky, yeah. but um, I rescue them from Mexico. Um, it, what it allows me to do is to stay in my loving. I mean, to stay present and and um, I mean, I have a busy practice. I do work with a lot of people, and um, which I find amazing to see people get out of their own way. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I love to people to watch people sort of to learn how to navigate life and enjoy it the way I do. Like I love being alive. I mean, what a gift that I get to navigate. Like, I mean, that doesn't mean negative things per se doesn't happen. Like, you could perceive them as positive and negative happen all the time. Sure. But I'm not afraid of the positive or the negative. I'm not afraid of life, you know? But Mm -hmm. it does, like, a lot of stuff has happened. Like, I've been raising um, my son now, and also all of a sudden I realize, of course, there's a huge amount of racism in the world. And um, so that's been a huge challenge. So it's not like my life is free of... um, challenges but i'm much more prepared to take it all on and to kind of navigate i'm not i'm coming from a whole perfect and complete place which frees you and i don't think people are almost ready then when you go after stuff because it's very um it's very powerful to come at things from you know not out of fear 
So does that make probably sense? leads to a certain amount of clarity of vision at that point. Yeah, like I have little Johnny, like little, like I think our personality has all these little parts, and little Johnny will get triggered, and he wants to hide under the bed, <laughs> you know. So, and it's good because sometimes in the past I would have let him lead, you know, let him drive, and he doesn't have a driver's license because he's probably like a seven or a six year old. So it's great to have the whole perfect and complete. The adult is mm-hmm. another way of saying it, lead, and I find that's what meditation does, rather than, you know, taking action from fear. Quick break to tell you that this episode of Industry Town is sponsored by Horrible Haikus, everyone's favorite offensive poetry game. This game is perfect for actors, entertainers, or anyone who's willing to just look a little bit silly in front of their friends. Uh, Horrible Haikus is available online at horriblehaikusgame.com. And if you are an Industry Town listener, you can get the game for 50% off with the code HAIKU50. Again, that code is HAIKU50. That makes the game just $15. So go check that out on online and get yourself a copy so then let's talk about meditation let's yeah. talk about meditation because i feel like that is something that most people i know think it's something they should be doing but right. have never actually found their way into it and there's a lot of um, i don't have time yeah there's a lot of uh well that's just not for me my brain doesn't work that way yes i'm sure you hear various things mm-hmm. like this a lot mm-hmm. can you talk to people about how um how to find a meditation practice like how how does someone actually start doing this thing that feels so foreign to them? I mean, I think breath work is a good entry point. You know, I think there's different forms. There's mindfulness, there's meditation, and manifesting would be three different types. But breath work is a good entry point. Mindfulness, like we could do right now, is just checking in with you mm-hmm. between one and ten. Where are you? Maybe you could close your eyes and just check mm-hmm. in between one and ten. Where are you in this moment? One being terrible, ten being fantastic. I would say I'm like a seven and a half right now. Okay, lovely. And then just check in with yourself physically. What's going on with yourself physically? What's is it achy? Is your body achy? What's happening? My body's surprisingly not achy right now. Wonderful. It's been a lot. Yeah, I would actually say I'm like at a nine right now. Beautiful, beautiful. Any feelings or emotion present? Mostly, it's um, excited talking to you. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of happiness with that. I would also say that in the back of my head, we got this weird news about Kobe Bryant potentially passing, and I don't know whether, I, I assume it's true. Uh, I'm, and it, God, if it turns out to be some bizarre hoax, it's gonna be strange when I talk about it in this moment on the podcast. Um, but that does gnaw at me as this weird, sad, upsetting yeah. thing kind of in the back of my head that I'm trying to, I've seen like I've gotten like 10 texts from people I know who watch a lot of basketball. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm aware that there's probably some people in my life who are sad right now, yes, and yeah. I'm trying to, Remind myself, headlines, news, that'll all come, mm-hmm. and to be here. So I'd say that's the one other piece. Yeah, sure, sure. And the mm-hmm. mindset, how is your thinking? Is that positive or negative? Are you aware Overall of? positive. Overall. That's one reason I like doing the podcast so much. I am always positive. Yeah. From connect, it, I, can, I love talking to people. One-on-one is probably my favorite way to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. One-on-one or a small group where we're not just shooting the shit where it feels like we're really talking about something that either matters to you matters to me that is my favorite way to engage with people and it reminds me of what makes me happy i feel like i vibrate at a different place Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i feel closer to people because of it so usually this circumstances is a very positive one to me Mm -hmm. and then we're at jrs which is a place that i feel very secure and warm Mm -hmm. so yeah beautiful any whispers of the heart the whispers of the heart well i have a lot about puppies because mm-hmm. I again I lost mine and I feel like it's time to start looking but I also still think it's not quite time to get yeah 
That's the whisper I keep okay. hearing right now. That's why I got the tattoo that I got. I'll show you a little bit oh, later. Wow. But um, no, when I got it, I the whisper I got was like, that was the step. Yeah, Like, that's where you're supposed to be right now. That's the next step in the closure. You're going to get to somewhere else, but it's not there yet. Beautiful, beautiful. So mindfulness is checking in, right? To see where you're at. Mm -hmm. right? I think meta sometimes you might be at a three or maybe at a minus five. You've seen me in those places. <laughs> <Depending>, right? <laughs> so I find meditation, breath work can begin to help get that number up. Okay. And I think it's important if you have an audition and if you're going in, a, say, a minus three, I don't think that's the best way to go in. I do believe in kind of meditating, jogging, exercise, to get yourself up there into a 10 because you fully showing up in the present moment, you're more likely to book it. And 10, just in case anybody's hearing this, because I, I, I remember a lot of the ways that my brain would kind of try to ninja this stuff into negativity when right. I first met you. Yeah. And because when I would used to hear a 10, I would hear, well, you want me just to like everything. To, and I would get this image of like a, of a fake plastered smile on my face. And I, I don't think that's what you mean. Mm -hmm. Is a 10, a 10 isn't just accepting everything as blanketly good. I think is it just feeling yourself as like vibrating well? Is yeah, that fully alive, like not making anything wrong. It's like your love. I do believe that whole perfect and complete essence is love and just in your loving where I'm fully present. I'm fully aware. Like my body's awake. My heart's open. Yeah. You know, I'm fully alive. I'm not making anything wrong. Like meditation for me is like hanging out with myself mm -hmm. for 10, 20 minutes, but I'm not making myself wrong for those 20 minutes. I'm really just hanging out with myself and loving myself for that amount of time. I'm teaching the world how to treat me. I love that you just said that it's not making it wrong because I actually think that that's a lot of the reason people don't meditate, that whole it's not for me. I think a lot of people sit down and instantly think, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel or what I'm feeling is wrong because I can't get my brain to shut up right. or whatnot. And instantly they're wrong for a whole bunch of reasons. Sure. And I think that ability to sit in silence, nothing trains us for that in 21st century living as far as I'm concerned. And so it's hard not to feel wrong the second you sit down. You're breaking sure. habits. You feel uncomfortable. So do you have any advice for people who, when they sit down to meditate and uh, mm -hmm. feel that antsiness or no nah, i'm not gonna <sighs> well it's making it all okay it's accepting what is you know it is it's just if you if you fall asleep it's okay we don't beat ourselves up i use you know breath work and and a mantra i mean tm is very popular meditation some people will pay two thousand dollars for the mantra and that forces them to <laughs> sit down to meditate i think but for me it's just hanging out i'm gonna make the time for myself I don't think I ever made the time for, I guess it's making the time for my soul. I believe I have this presence inside, whatever you want to call it, energy field. There's so many different names for it, but it's so much more important that you experience it. Again, the masters I did was all experiential learning. It wasn't and healing. It wasn't um, just regurgitation. It was all about you have to heal yourself if you can heal anybody else. So you have to learn. I really learned that there's a space inside of me that's that's love and I hang out there and then I get like I don't battle the mind the mind can still the mind still says it's crazy stuff I just don't believe it or <laughs> or focus it or battle it I'm just kind of tuning into something different it's like the member of the family that you just accept is going to say weird conspiracy theories and so it's just yeah like it's okay they're going to say them but I don't have to engage I, with I them. also love the, the <laughs> this idea that we're not even responsible for our thoughts so they're not like some people feel that somehow they're still okay. They're not true, but they're still they still take um, responsibility for them. I think we're responsible for our action, like what we do with them. 
but I don't think we're responsible for them. So come, some people have crazy, crazy thoughts, depending on what they're suffering from. And um, that was a big free, big one for me. <laughs> so I don't even have to be responsible. I can just let them be. And I can just chill you, out for 10 or 20 minutes. And that has a ripple effect throughout the day, you see. And you differentiate between thoughts and these whispers and these knowings, right? Yes. Yeah. How, can you, it, that seems like a tough... Uh, I know Spielberg calls them whispers of the heart. I would call it probably intuition or knowings. But do you feel like they come through differently than thoughts? Yeah, they seem to just bubble in. For me, they... You like, always seem to gesture to right around your solar plexus yeah, when you talk about this. Yeah, they just kind of like just... Like they're not like this. I hear like you hear the thoughts, right? There's a most. You see, the thing is, I think a lot of us get stuck. Like school keeps teaching us, keeps trying to get us into thinking mode: good, bad, right, wrong. So we're always in that mode. And um, but once you start meditating and unplugging, and start experiencing the more expansive, you kind of also hear the intelligence of the body, mm-hmm. which I would think is instinct. And then I think it's like a multiplex movie. Like the more it's like the camera, the more you get back and back, you see. Oh my God, there's so many um, different facets to us. And I think that's why actors are healers. Like I think we have our tools are our mind, body, heart. It's important that we kind of really um, understand them. That's why it's great that John, you know, I've been going into John's studio at, since pr- probably, I think, the very beginning. We're coming up on our 10-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Can you yeah, believe that? It's crazy, yeah, right? Johnny O comes into Tool Shop. So if you take Tool Shop week two, you will get some guided meditation. And Yeah, and I share that. Just I think John gets it too, that the kind of um, from the very beginning, meditation is almost like an acting technique. It's really just getting you, some people call it blank slate or ground zero or trying to get you in touch with the kind of um, your essence. Just And then you can make choices to build on it. Does that yeah, make sense? Like it does. Kind of, and I think he really got it, how important it is to kind of exp- not just experiencing your thinking, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of. Well, John and I are both very similar in that our brains are constantly telling us things <laughs> are right or wrong or to be afraid of all the time. We're both right. quite neurotic and anxious. And I think um, see the benefits always, not always able to put into practice. <laughs> yeah. Ru- was it Rumi's field out, out beyond right and wrongdoing? That field, I'll meet you there, is kind Beautiful. of where, which I think the field is within us. But it's a practice of getting to, to, getting to experience it. I think once you experience it, then you know where it is. Then you, like, like almost Sense acting memory. as self-hypnosis almost, right? Mm-hmm. You just shift into the characters. And you time. drop into something, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's similar. I think it's a place you find inside of you. Yeah. And I choose to hang out there rather than what's wrong. I also like what you said earlier of just finding it interesting that if you're someone who's trying to sit down to meditate and you're struggling with it, to not judge that yes. and to not say that means I can't do it or I can do it either, but just, oh, isn't it interesting yeah. that when I choose to sit down for five minutes, my body goes into revolt. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Um, if people do want to figure out a way into meditation, um, are there? do you recommend any particular websites, apps, techniques for someone who's just really trying to find a way in? I think it, I think I also teach this espresso meditation of just 21 breaths. I think it's just learning to breathe. Just in and out you for know, 21? Seven through the nose, out through the nose, seven through the nose, out through the mouth, and then seven through the mouth, out through the mouth. Just 21 breaths. You can do many sets or just one set. You can go really fast or really slow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great entry point. And Or you could just repeat the word love or trust again for 10 minutes. Close your eyes and just have a focal, a focus point. And that is the gateway to your presence. Like if you keep repeating the word love or trust for 10 minutes, you'll begin to unplug and start experiencing the more expansive part of you. 
And again, it's experiential, right? The more you experience it, you get the benefits. What do you say to someone who says, I don't have time? I, I, I mean, <laughs> I think we can all <laughs> say that, right? I think you have to kind of make time. I mean, it's, um, I, I think that should be the basic. Like, I think f I, it seems studies suggest that if you do it first thing in the morning, um, you'll get to it, I guess. And um, I think it's an indicator of, of you know, because we hear all these expressions, oh, love yourself and, and invest in yourself. But I think it's a very practical. If you don't want to sit with yourself for five minutes, I mean, that's kind of the energy you're giving off. And I mm -hmm. love the way a lot of actors I speak to, you know, want studios to invest millions of dollars in them, but they don't really want to spend 10 minutes sitting with themselves. So I think you kind of got to kind of really look at what you put out. I think we're kind of boomerangs. Like what we give out, we get back in a way, what we bring to the table. And um, so the ability to sit down for 10 minutes might also be the way that we feel more comfortable standing up for ourselves or asserting that we have a right to take care of ourselves. Yes. Yeah. It just it gets a deeper like kind of where you're just sitting with you and, and it might be uncomfortable to begin with because we're not, as you said, you know, our parents don't necessarily teach us to like ourselves. Sometimes we can learn not to reject ourselves. But I think if you just look in meditation, just I'm just hanging out with myself. I'm just going to be with myself for 10 minutes and maybe repeat the word love inside. Could you come up with a different word for meditation to mean the same thing? Um, I mean, that's why I, I always say hanging out with the self. Hanging out with the self. Just hanging out. Okay. Uh, I'm just having a date with myself. I think people have so many assumptions about that word yes. that, you know, yeah. recategorizing. One of my favorite meditations, mm -hmm. I think I've shared this with you, was at one point I was looking at, at my dog Puck and just wondering, what is it like in your brain? Because... All of my thoughts have words to them. Yeah. I mean, occasionally there's an impulse to like a hunger pang or something. Yeah. yeah. But he has none of that. Right. So what is it like to go through life without that constant voice mm -hmm. chattering? And what I what I came to was that like there's probably images, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like images of me, images yeah. of a tree. There's probably sense mm -hmm. and and, and impulses like mm -hmm. a hunger pang or yeah. I need to pee yeah. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that that does seem like a really lovely way to kind of interact with the world, which is when I do, when my body needs something, I will feel it. Yes. And if I want to have a memory of something, it'll, it'll choose to kind of appear. Mm -hmm. But my dog never seemed upset with the idea that what could be going on in his brain is just an ellipsis, <laughs> right. you know? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you, his happiest place was like lying in the sun mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it didn't seem like there was a, it's not like so I can lie in the sun so then I can read my book and listen mm -hmm. to the podcast and learn my lines it's just that's it yeah there's happiness in just the, the I isness love that. that's I mean I think that's very powerful and profound can you we, that seems like you shifted into the way his outlook or it's his a, POV it's a fun one to try to find and sometimes yes. I'm able to shift into it but to really get that voice to shut up Mm -hmm. is very difficult for me and it starts kind of throwing a temper tantrum yeah, when it I sees me getting close. I don't know if it'll ever shut up. I think <laughs> you're just going to you're just going to tune into something different. Mm -hmm. I think that would be like in a way you're tuning into your dog, but it's like a dog meditation, you know, you're just your voc focus point is the dog. Like if you take him for a walk or all you do is focus on the dog. You know, you, you see I do sometimes smiling meditations too, which I think are fun. But the idea is you're we're not even bothered by the, the mind, right? Mm -hmm. You're just smiling. Mm -hmm. It's kind of to give yourself a different focus, something to tune in. Like, again, the mind will keep remembering the past. 
That's what the mind generally does, and it's our job to sometimes give the mind new stuff to think about. That's what kind of manifesting meditations are about when you start giving them guided visualizations. Sure. Right? But the mind is just remembering the past, and usually it's remembering the shitty things that happened in the past, and then you're developing feeling and emotion that match that, and then you're going around at that frequency, and then you keep pulling in more stuff almost to match that as opposed to remembering, like futurizing where you're the winner. You know, it's having dreams are very important. Sometimes, um, I call, although it, sometimes in my practice, I do think a lot of wounds become dreams. You know, if they're not, like I love intention, like it's a 100% intention, but zero attachment. So I'm always working with this or something better for the highest good of all concerned. So I'm working with this unseen energy field. So I'm not, you know, I don't get stuck, oh, it has to look like this, but I will give my mind lots of stuff to, to dream about. I was talking with my son earlier, you know, that, um, it's so important to have dreams hmm. to just to but not to be sort of attached to them but just to give the mind something to focus on an, does that make sense it's a dichotomy in my head but i feel like i can i can i work towards accepting those thoughts yeah it's hard for me to put all that equity into a dream and then feel like i don't need it to happen right yeah. um i want to but think if you that. love the you see when you love the moment you see you know nothing can kind of beat that like there's nothing like so it's not about the goal. It is about your brain imagining that goal it's a, in the now. Yeah, it's a tool. Like the mind is a tool, I find. So it's like I got to give it some... Is it almost some, like watching a trailer for a better version of your life? Like it's not that I have to see that movie, but... Yeah, because the, the now is there's nothing that beats the now. There is nothing that is kind of as magical as actually being here right now in this moment. Yeah. And it's always a series. Like when you're doing it, I used to do a lot of one-person shows. And of course, the key, you have to go beat to beat to beat. You can never jump ahead. That's nope. that's the thing, or you lose. But the, the magic is in every moment. And that's what life is almost like, right? A play, in, yeah. a, in a way. I think we're all actors. We're acting roles. But if you get that... So the dreams come in because amazing, I live in the loving and amazing things will float in. Mm-hmm. I'm like amazed that kind of what some of them are. Yeah, some of them are intention. Some of them are, are from visualization, but a lot of them are just so profound. But if I don't have the technique or the ability to be in the moment, I wouldn't be enjoying them. Mm. I wouldn't actually be able to. Does that make sense? Yeah. To really experience it. Yeah. So it's a series of now. It's just when I think doing the. Just Those, to be present to each that one. rum and vodka and I have a, a, the show was very much got that. I got that early on too. So I was getting all these little pieces of the puzzle. Okay. Does that make sense for yeah. different things? But I noticed, yeah, if I jumped ahead or even if I thought about like, because it was a 90 minute show and you're going, you can't jump ahead. And it's kind of like life, but the mind, you see, the tool of the mind wants to jump into the past and the future. Yeah. So you got to give it food. You got to give it thoughts to think about or you're just a puppet to it. Yes. Right. The hand. If we like, if our hand is going up and down, we will put our hand down and relax it. But this, we kind of um, will just let it. So I give it we good. Think it's important when it's doing. Yes. That. Yes. Does that make sense? It it's does. kind of. Most people are remembering the past, the shitty things. So you have a practice with a lot of different artists and actors. Have you noticed something that the ones who are achieving at the highest level tend to have in common? A lot of again, it's my mastering the control of the mind a lot of manifest being able to give the mind thoughts is is very important to being be able, able to, to visualize. Kind of control that a little well bit. that's all we can control we can't control really what happens to us but we can control the relationship with the mind the body and the heart we can control like what we eat we can control what we kind of um, think about consume so there's a larger amount of self-control across the board 
that begins at the mind, do you think? Yes. I think the mind is create like it, it is a it's kind of um you know, it creates feeling and emotion. So it is a kind of um and a very important tool. It's a very powerful tool. And if you get stuck in the mind, I'm thinking like getting I, I love meditation gets you behind the mind. But that's what I hear. Like a lot of people will um say, like of all these people when I first moved to LA too, they would tell me they were the funniest person in America or they were this. And it's amazing to watch their careers become huge. Like I do believe what you, you know, think will manifest, especially if you're believing your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So you want to be the winner in them. Like that's the I've seen that. The count the people that have um and then when I talk to them, they talk about when they were younger that they would have these amazing dreams where they were the winner in the dreams. They were always seeing themselves like kind of um, on stage or, you know, on movie sets. So people are struggling. The The idea would be use things such as mindfulness and meditation to try to wrangle some of these thoughts. And that when you do find more control or ability to see them as, first of all, not that necessarily important. And secondly, to have visions of your life working out that that ends up potentially becoming true, but it also redoubles in that you're more likely to take better care of yourself, have the discipline you want to, to show up for yourself in the way you want. Is that yeah, kind of the yeah. overall equation? I, I encourage people to freeform write too. I think a big tool that I found so effective is sometimes, you know, it's very overwhelming. And I don't want to negate how difficult a lot of this can be because we do get lost mm-hmm. in these kind of thoughts and thinking and stories. And we have been victims many, many times too. And I find it's very important that to start maybe to clear it is by writing out all the stuff that is shitty, like all the, you know, and I, I get people to do that on a daily basis and in an evening basis, but I get people to destroy it. It's not journaling. It's so not you don't do like, the morning pages of just keep it. No, it's not like the artist's way. It's, it's really to start getting rid of all the poison. I think, you know, we've got these wounds and they're filled with pus and we need to get it out of us. And I think freeform writing first thing in the morning, getting all that's wrong, all that, like even like the sad stories, oh, you know, because it's, 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 it's a process, but we need to clear all that stuff out before we can sometimes really experience that loving because it's covering it all up. You know, there's all these um, hurts. Like, I mean, sometimes we mix up, I think, the inner child with the hurt children, the hurt mm-hmm. part. It's like we're a Russian doll and we've got all these little younger parts. And we need to, we need to give them a voice because they never had a voice when they were a kid. And sometimes people can't afford to go to therapy or they can't afford, you know, the time. And um, it's important. I think freeform writing is a great tool. Get up in the morning and start just freeforming all that's wrong. But the intention is to let it go. So you're clearing and then shred it. Like nobody will reread it. So you're shredding it or burning it. And then it's gone. And then hang out with yourself for 10 minutes. But start getting rid of, because again, I've been doing this for years and years. This was kind of my my sort of um, pursuit. Like, you know, even like John of God, you know, these sort of healers from Brazil. There's so many different people that um, I was very curious about. So I have been meditating a long time. You do get the benefit from doing it. But in the meantime, I think freeform writing is a great place to start. Just, just get rid of all the stuff. Yeah. You know? I have a client in one of my business classes, and she has talked about a lot of sadness that yeah. 
you know, she gets good feedback in her class, but when she tries to imagine where she is on TV, she cannot see it. Yes. She yeah. cannot see it, and that leads to an epic amount of sadness. And that's where if she starts freely, I can't see, like start writing, I can't see myself on TV again. Like just all this stuff that will you'll she'll notice there's tons of stuff. And then she'll notice there's actually a lot of judgment in there where you realize, and that would be the next place of forgiveness, is it, which is also an amazing tool to begin to forgive the judgments that we carry about ourselves, about other people. Because again, I love the spiritual psychology idea that we're all doing the best we can with what we know. And that's why, you know, no one's better than us, but we're all waking up at different times. So the levels of consciousness are different, but it doesn't mean that we're better than anyone. And everyone is doing the best they can, even, you know, it's just the degrees of consciousness and waking up. So that's why we can forgive ourselves and forgive others. And that's an amazing tool. Like I used to forgive, I'd be going around forgiving judgments like for, (laughs) you know, months, like just, I didn't want to participate. I'm always trying to, you know, clear myself. So I, I... be present because again when someone comes to see me you don't want to walk into and start seeing a, a depressed like therapist yeah. you know you got to be fully present fully alive for for um so it's my job to clear i love traveling clears me a lot mm-hmm. i find that sort of like it's very important that i replenish and refuel so when i'm with a client i'm very present with them and um, really experiencing what i teach does that make sense? If anyone wants to learn more about some of the stuff, is there a book or a podcast or something that you feel like is a good entryway in or something like that? I mean, I love the book I, I share called Journey of the Souls, which it's a little out there, but I do like the idea because sometimes we just need Who's another, the author? Michael Newton. Okay, Michael Newton, Journey of the Souls. We just need another perspective. He's a psychiatrist that didn't believe in any sort of unseen intelligence or any um, afterlife or anything like that. And he used a lot of hypnosis in his practice. And he kept, they kept, the clients kept going into before they came in. So they're just case studies of all his clients talking about the entry point of coming into this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I, again, it's all storytelling because we won't know till we transition. But again, I'm a firm believer in enjoying, of enjoying the hell out of life like till, till, till we get there. But it's an amazing just to read, oh my God, how they set it up. We were talking earlier about how they choose their parents. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, again, it's another perspective, but that might open up. You know, because the mind can get so rigid. If you believe your thoughts and your thinking, you can, you know, you're so rigid and um, there's no opening, there's no space even to create because you, like, you know it all, right? Yeah. It's always like the kind of, um, you know, the looser that is, then the space for things to move in. That's what's always been open. That's why this or something better for the highest good of all concerned. You know, sometimes it's not my turn and that's okay if I don't get, like, um, you know, that's okay, like because yeah. I have the now. Like it's not, I, my happiness is not outside of me. So I, and that's what I'm teaching. I can't put my value in acting. I can't put value in my practice. I can't put value in my son and my partner. I put value in that I'm alive. I can't put it outside of. So I get to kind of, you know. So I find that so freeing too, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, nearing the end, mm-hmm, nearing the end, a mm-hmm. couple more questions. You'd mentioned earlier ayahuasca. What do you feel like you get from that kind of journeying and experimentation? Obviously, done in a safe space, but I found again it was it's all part another piece of the puzzle. What um, a friend, how I started doing it was a friend got cancer and she didn't want to do chemo and radiation. This was probably about fifteen, twenty years ago, probably twenty years ago, and. Um, I decided to go on the journey with her and we would go every week and we would do it. And um, what I found it to be was an endogenic, which is where visions happen Mm -hmm. as opposed to um, 
you know, hallucination. And, <laughs> and um, the first time I did it, all these chains left my body. And it will speak to you in a language that you understand. Growing up, I grew up in Ireland, and um, I had a, my mom's sort of family would be Protestant primarily, if you look at it, and then my dad was Catholic. But the, so the people that came to me was Jesus and Mary came to visit me on this, and they said, welcome home. And I'd realized that I'd been sort of running away from myself. Yeah. And um, I found it was, it was amazing. Like, whatever you haven't looked at will bubble up. Okay. So it's almost like meditation on speed. And what, well, ultimately, the biggest learning is to be firm. So what it's teaching you is so all of a sudden all this stuff starts coming at you, these memories, feelings, and emotions. Some people will see aliens. Some people will, you know, depending on you, everything can come at you. Sure. And the key is to, can you stay firm? Can you stay in your loving no matter what's coming at you? Sometimes you, you can do it through Santo Daimi where you can be singing and, and dancing while you're on the medicine. Mm -hmm. And can you stay firm in your singing and dancing? So that's teaching you then to be firm in your life. So no matter what's happening to you in your life, whether your agent dumps you, whether your partner dumps you, no matter what happens, you can still stay in your loving. You don't have to go down. Yeah. And a lot of times, sometimes I ask, a lot of people go down, right? They let energies come in. Like sometimes, you know, dead people, all this kind of energies can come at you. And some people will let them into their bodies. Or can you stay firm and set boundaries? <laughs> like I have a great ability at setting boundaries and go, no, you know, to send energy. Like I, I hold space well. I hold energy well, like for people for, to heal and to kind of. So it's to be firm, I think, is the biggest kind of so that no matter what's happening to you in life, you can navigate it. You can handle it. That's what I think it's really teaching you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I outsourced a couple questions okay. from some people who I know. Uh, who I know know you and whatnot, and uh, had a couple questions. So this one comes from John Rosenfeld. Okay. Um, so how do you convince a skeptic the value of meditation, and is there a pattern to those who resist it? I think you begin to say you're the common denominator, like in your life. Don't you see that? Like I think the more you, more relationship you have, you begin to see that it's up to you. If you're unhappy, you know, if you want to stay unhappy, don't meditate. I mean. It's kind of, it's if you want to refine your life, if mm -hmm. you actually want to change it, um, it's a key. You know, it's a tool, but it's up to you. A lot of people love being miserable. They love to suffer. And that's okay because, you know, at one point, ideally, you get sick of suffering. You get sick of, of um, you know, drama, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, um, but you can't, I don't think you can convince anybody. I think sometimes, you know, and, some, and sometimes, again, if, if you know, reincarnation exists, sometimes it's, maybe it's not this lifetime for them to wake up. I'm not good at or you know, convincing. Like I would never, you know, it's like also with relationship breaking up. Never convince someone to be with you. You are so amazing. Like the, it's to really know your value. So yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not trying to convince people, but I take them on an experience where they get to know themselves. They get to know the, that whole perfect complete, that loving space. That's what, you know, that's why I share meditation. That's why I go into John's. It's just to share the power, you know, of it. And if you experience it, then you get it, right? I'm not, none of what I teach, you should just blindly follow. You know what I mean? I think you should, should try it out and just see, does it work? Yeah, investigate. You know? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Find it interesting and yes. go from there. Curiosity, yes. Um, I feel like we hit this one a little bit, but Kelly Walker Garcia asked, um, for anyone who can't afford regular therapy or regular yes. practice with you, 
what resources do you recommend? We talked about the, the f- 21 breaths. And- I think that begin with the free-form writing. I mean, some, some people, yeah, want therapy every day. For if you free-form in the morning and in the evening, that would be the key. Start there. Free-form. Get rid of all that you think is wrong. Life sucks. I fucking hate myself. Start getting How long should they out. write? They I should think people do like three pages, three pages and no more than 12 minutes. Okay. And sometimes it's just scribbled. Sometimes it's just like it's just energy that are, are, that's within us, you know. Because most people again are escaping life, right? That's mm-hmm. why we escape and we go into addiction. We go into you know alcohol, drugs, people, sex, technology, procrastination, right? So most people are escaping, as opposed because they're not processing. If you start processing what's going on, you won't need to escape. Yeah. Like I don't need to escape. It's great to be in the now. And that's where that's what I'm trying to teach is that. And so if you can't freeform right and you'll start noticing all the judgments you have, like life sucks, life's out to get me. You'll start noticing how and judgments and partners. I, I find couples therapy fascinating watching um, like couples move on from stuff, but they don't forgive the judgments they have of, of their partner. Like so they'll sort of forgive but they still have this judgment that he or she is an asshole. <laughs> so, so it's hard to really connect mm-hmm. and to be intimate with someone when there's this big judgment that they're an asshole between you know. So, so it's it's freeform writing. You be you'll really see all the judgments you have about your spouse, your work, your job, about acting. Like so many people judge acting too, and it's such a sacred craft. But yeah, it's the business. You know, even judging the business doesn't necessarily help. But you got to get it like. Um, out of you so that so they start with their free form writing free-form. and that would help them acknowledge the judgments they have yes and then i would do the 21 breaths just because that will get you higher over stuff like it's great before an audition it's great if you're overwhelmed and and then i would hang out just hang out with yourself like breath is another word for, for i guess for meditation but just hang out with yourself for 10 minutes but not make yourself wrong you know it's not like like loving you like practically like just you know, really show up because that's what gets mirrored back. So I think those three tools, they're so simple, but yeah, very powerful. And I don't think you need a therapist if you're actually doing those every day. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Um, Wonderful advice. This, I feel like, is kind of a follow-up of the same question, so it might not really be that different an answer. But uh, her second question was, are there any simple steps for people who are in the middle of spiraling that creatives tend to maybe be more prone to that negative spiral? What is the like the touchstone to kind of parachute out of that? I think if you're upset, remember if you're upset, I believe if I'm upset, it's my upset. So mm-hmm. I gotta. That's why I find mindfulness good. I'm always checking in. Where am I at today? If I'm at a five, I gotta clear what's stopping me from being at a ten. Mm-hmm. What's on top of me? Yeah. You know. So it's, it's it's similar. I mean, I think before you sit down to write, you should freeform. I think Kelly's a writer too, right? She There's is. A sense of. Um, it's free form and you'll notice all the ju- maybe you're judging yourself so harshly about your writing you know as opposed to just writing right mm-hmm. you're getting in the resistance like judgment keeps you stuck keeps you stuck in relationship it keeps you stuck as an artist so usually if we're not creating it's that we found ourselves stuck I think um, free forming if you if you can forgive the judgments if you notice the judgments you have and um, I'm not is that answering the question I think it sure. does okay. I think it does um, the very last one. Okay. Um, and again, I think we kind of hit these a little bit, but sure. since, since people were so kind to send in questions, yes, I figure why not acknowledge them, right? Yes. Um, so Roxana Dunlop says, um, she's chatting with her boyfriend, and uh, who also knows you, <laughs> and uh, what kept coming up for us was this idea that we choose everything, even the awful and traumatic, that we have a hard time believing this. And yes. I feel like we started with this a little bit. Yeah. But 
if something t- if uh, if I get hit by a car on the yeah. way home and uh, and it causes you know intense medical illness, how am I supposed to look at that as something that is somehow for the greater good that I have chosen? I I again, it's a, it's either you know you give life meaning or there's no meaning to it. So either life is happening for you or against you. It's up to you to decide. So I give meaning. I shared this story that you know. When I was in my 20s living in New York, um, I got drugged, and so, a be, like, my partner's best friend, who was married with a kid, and um, sexually assaulted me. Um, at the time, I was like, like, you know, afterwards, I was in shock. I was like, I'm masculine. I'm a man. How could this possibly, you know, happen to me? I was very much in resistance, but of course, I start doing healing work. Um, releasing the pain, releasing the anger, releasing um, what happened to heal it. And sometimes when I, you see, when I look back on it now, the learnings I got from it about setting boundaries, not, I was so open. I was one of those like just oh, so trusting individuals. And um, I learned so much from it. And it has helped me in my healing practice so much. I don't think I would have compassion and empathy for so many people without that experience. So I sometimes think we need to experience stuff. Again, I don't have the full answer for it. Like, why did my son need to starve for three years? Why did he need to lose his birth parents to AIDS? I think we set it up. We just are here studying different things. And we have to study stuff. Like, life has to happen, mm-hmm. you know? So things have to happen. That's why we're here. It's just if we make it wrong and let it define us, you know, we, we get stuck. I mean, we can make even a simple thing. Like I remember when my son was was five, he came home from school and he was like, daddy, daddy, I want skin like yours. And again, I love the idea of reincarnation. Oh, you've already been white. Mm-hmm. So he could he was already getting stuck at thinking like his skin color, there was something wrong with his skin color. And I could see him recalibrate going, you've already been white, you've done that. In this lifetime, you chose to be brown. So it's, I guess it's a reframe. He reframed it. And then a couple of months later, a girl from his class said, daddy, daddy, a girl in my class said, I've got skin like poop, but I forgive her. I remember being an Asian girl in a past lifetime, and it was very difficult. So he was able to reframe it at five. I just don't think we were planted with enough good stories to to reframe and to, you know, it's it, it's been amazing raising my son. There was a moment recently where he told me, we went to New York City. I had this show called Who's Your Daddy, and I did it at the, off-Broadway at the Irish Rap Theater, and I took Odin with me, and of course he went to school in Times Square. He went to this <laughs> Catholic school in Times Square. It was almost like Hogwarts. Phenomenal. Uh, and um, he told me recently how traumatizing that was <laughs> for him. And it was fascinating to hear how, you know, I guess there was nuns and and um, <laughs> and and they they were very strict, and he had all this stuff to tell me, and it was kind of, you know, it was fascinating to work through it. Like, okay, to kind of can we accept it? Can we reframe it? It's not to negate it, but yeah. it's how we hold it. You see, will dictate our future memories. So, I mean, I think shitty things happen, but I just don't think sometimes we understand why. I think we live life forward and maybe we understand it backwards. At the time when I was sexually assaulted, I didn't really understand it. Um, But today when I look back, I go, oh my God, that had to happen because of all the work in the prison system because I've helped people, you know, heal that uh, on both ends, the victim and the perpetrator. And I think without that hands-on experience, I don't think it's possible to really 
um, do the work that I do. Does that make sense? So, so getting into an accident, you know, I deal like I have a different clients, you know, that have been in road accidents and people have died, and and um, I think I think it's all happening for us. That we're just experiencing it for some reason, and I think we get the learnings. I know that's probably not the greatest of answers, but I mean, I think it's a pretty solid, compelling answer. What people okay. want to do with that, I think, is um, I meant to ask you one last thing. Um, You've used the phrase soul line and goal line for me. Can you yes. talk about that for a second? Sure. I, I think we grow on the soul line and the goal line. Like different axes, right? Like yes. a Y axis and an it's X axis. It's almost like the cross. And I think the sweet spot is to be in the middle. It's kind of to take your goal line coming from from the soul line. Because a lot of I, I work with a lot of very, very successful people on the goal line. Mm-hmm. And they're miserable. They're yeah. really sad. They have everything in the physical world. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they realize that it's it's actually not enough. It's not satisfying enough, you know. And um, people I know work people on the soul line. They're very good on the soul line, but they don't know how to show up for themselves in the yeah. human realm. They don't know how to pay their rent. They don't know how to um, p- pay their bills. <laughs> Which I think you see, we're souls having a human experience. It's very important that we navigate being human too. I don't want to negate that in any way. So it's important. A lot of people being spiritual is not. Um, about not showing up for yourself on the goal line. Yeah. It's becoming a master of the two. What I, when I work with very successful people on the physical line and the goal line, it's amazing watching all of a sudden their life becomes, there's so much more meaning yeah. to it once they, once they weave in the soul. A lot of them don't, they, they have an awareness that there's something off. And then it's the same working with people, um, spiritual people, because spiritual people deserve to be wealthy as well. <laughs> like, yeah. They just have to learn how to show up for themselves. You know, a lot of people don't know how to navigate you know, that's the idea of young souls, old souls, you know, but I think it's what we're studying. But I think it's very important to be an expert on the soul line and the goal line. And that's, um, you know, I'm glad you reminded me of that. I love that image. Um, If people want to get in touch with you, the best way? The best way would to email thehealingbar at gmail.com. Thehealingbar at gmail.com. It'll be in the show notes. So if anyone wants to grab it there, it will be there. Um, Johnny, thank you. If you have any questions about meditation, you know, just... You know, send an email because well, that's the, yeah. that's the start yeah uh, so do reach out um, Johnny thank you so much for coming on the show it has been an absolute pleasure it is always like a shower for my brain and my soul I always just feel inspired and excited and lighter after talking to you so thank you and thank you for sharing your uh, your wisdom with us thank you so much until next time bye bye Thank you so much to Johnny O'Callaghan. If you are interested in working with him, his email address is in the show notes, and I couldn't recommend him more. So check him out. I also wanted to congratulate our Oscar contest winner, Peter Kang, who got amazing 21 out of 24 correct. So congrats to Peter and our other winners. We're excited to have more contests throughout the year. And uh, yeah, that's it for today. Please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify, please. It means the world and really helps. Please tell your friends, share the episodes, reach out to us on social media and email. Our address is industrytownpodcast at gmail.com. And honestly, I would really love to hear your feedback, what you're enjoying, what you'd like to hear. So yeah, please do that. And we'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, 